Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Arts and Conversation podcast. My name is Makai Eastman, along with my co-host, Jadon Bell. And we actually have two very special guests with us on my week of highlighting Black voices because we need a little more, <laughs> a little more color in my podcast because as much as, you know, I want to practice what I preach and I was like, goodness gracious, I got to seek more of us out. So we got Candace Moore and Rashad Dinkins. First of all, thank you to so much for coming. I really appreciate it. And again, I just want to kind of talk about you and what you guys do. Uh, we're in very different parts of the country, so get fresh perspectives on how it's going from where you are. You know, this pandemic has really put a bind on a lot of us for what we do, but I just kind of want to hear about your past experiences, what you're doing now to better yourselves as artists, and just basically what's going on. Yeah. Um, so, firstly, uh, let's kind of just start off with how you guys doing right now? You know, what's yeah. uh, <laughs> how, are we, how are we being treated in this COVID-19 landscape that we're living in? Well, I mean, as Black people, is that ever a non-triggering question? Like, is that ever, like, mm -hmm. that's kind of like a land a landmine type question, just mm -hmm. how, you know, <laughs> just, 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 yeah. you know, um, you know, I think we've been doing the same, we, we collectively just, you know, doing the same that we've always been doing, just hanging and maintaining, you know, just trying to find the love and the art and the healing and all of it. And like usual, we got to create it ourselves. So, you know, same old, same old. Yeah, I've just been sort of here. <laughs> I've just been existing, sort of. Um, I've been going back and forth between like a lot of different emotions, kind of like a pinball, kind of just going through different different kind of things. Mm -hmm. But um, ultimately, I always come back to art. So yeah, yeah. I think it's a funny thread that seems to be common in all of the podcasts this week about how we've had to create our own thing and make our own way, especially nowadays. And I can't keep having to come back to this, but it's, it's very interesting to see different perspectives about, you know, how the Black Lives Matter movement has really seemed to take off. This time, it only took uh, 401 years. Yeah. <laughs> and just, people, you know, for good measure, just you know, yeah, no, yeah, who's keeping count? We are, but but uh, you know, I just wanted to highlight because you said you know we kind of have to do our own thing. So, uh, Candace specifically, I know you said that you focus in acting, but do you do anything else along with that? Yeah, so um, I got my bachelor's uh, two years ago in theater arts. Um, recently, um, yeah, I've, I've been finding my artistic release and, um, recently in, um, beauty and with makeup as most black girls do nowadays, um, some of the times. Um, <laughs> but I also, um, it's funny, I actually posted an episode today. I do, I am host of my own IGTV segment on, on, um, IGTV, obviously, um, called Talk To Me. I post, for the most part, um, weekly episodes every Thursday. Um, I talk about basically everything that um, kind of that I'm dealing with. Um, sometimes it's advice, sometimes it's topics that um, 
my audience would like me to speak on. Sometimes it's just me ranting and venting and getting my feelings out. Um, recently, I actually started my own um, my own series within a series kind of where it's called talk to us and i'm having uh conversations with you know some homies on the gram and we're just recently i was talking about dealing with um um our generation dealing with like you know our perceptive our perception perception of <laughs> of um love and relationships and um pleasure and particularly how we're finding all of those things um during this time of quarantine and social distancing um yeah, just dabbling here and there, just trying to find my creative flow. Um, I need to get back to writing that play that I did last year. So yeah, just, you know, dabbling here and there, figuring things out. I mean, I got nothing but time, you know, right. quarantine. <laughs> yeah. I definitely got to leave a link to your Instagram under the video. So I'll remember to do that. I'll make a little note of that. So people can yeah, find you for your weekly Thursday thing. That's pretty cool. I didn't necessarily know that so I'll be Thank sure you. yeah I've got the I've got the handle for you cool um uh Rashad you also do intimacy coordinating you said right oh yes I um got certified in intimacy coaching about a year ago so that's been sort of a side hustle or a very weak side hustle as we know that intimacy in theater is very very hard to sort of navigate, but yeah. so difficult. It's yeah, so yeah. difficult. <laughs> Can we talk oh about my god! That for a quick second, because you know, uh, it, it, it's very interesting perspective that's been brought to the forefront as to how you know a lot of very intimate and personal scenes that have been going on through different plays have been kind of off the cuff and. Just people feeling it out, which is not necessarily or really not at all in most cases the best thing for actors to do. And how does that outside perspective actually work into the rehearsal? Yeah, um, it's, I think, well, what got me into it was really seeing that kind of sort of divide within especially children's theater, because I was doing, that's what I was around. Um, and just seeing like high schoolers being forced to do like these intimate scenes without really understanding um, the boundaries, the levels, the, the the choreography that sort of goes into this, this scene. And in particular, I did a show called I Am You. I produced it, directed it, and then acted in it. And what was the first time I was doing everything under the sun within that. So. Um, and we had a scene where we had to, to kiss each other. This is my first scene. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, I don't know how to do this. I really don't know what is um, what needs to be done here. And so we brought an outside influence to come and teach us, as well as sort of certify us and train us into this sort of, um, into intimacy coaching. And so that's kind of where I, I started. And now kind of trying to figure out how what to do with it and where to go with it and seeing how um, culture and media kind of doesn't really talk about consent and thinking about the idea we, we have about, um, ideas we have about pleasure, about um, intimate spaces and also understanding that intimacy does not necessarily always mean kissing, does not always necessarily mean touching. Um, and so sort of kind of combating society while also combating theater within itself. 
Okay, I respect it. I mean, yeah. Yeah, man, absolutely. Intimacy is so tough. Like, I've there was one play where like I had to be like intimate, intimate with like people, and it was it took me forever just to even be able to like struggle my way through because I'm I'm so awkward when it comes to anything like romantic or intimate whatsoever. Like, yeah, everybody's like, oh, you're such a chill, like, charismatic dude. Mm, not when it comes to being intimate and opening up to people and stuff. Not at all. Not at all. I relate sorry. to that. I relate to that. It really took me a lot to do INU because I was like, okay, this is a different type of vulnerability that I'm, used, that I'm not really used. I can cry. I can get angry. I can scream. I can do all these other things. But I'm like, I can't do this. And I had this idea of, like, I don't know how to how to talk about it, how to even, even yeah. sort of do it. And so it really was nice to kind of combat that. It also helps you in your real life understanding, like, how but to talk to people about things and relationships. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. As I think while you guys were talking, I was thinking back to, like, my undergraduate experience, and it just seemed as though we were kind of, like, or at least me, like, I was kind of, like, thrown into this whole thing of, like, having to, like, be physical and romantic and intimate and like all these other things and then also I just felt as though you know it's just a thing of like like yes this is a part of like what we should be learning and what we should be doing because there, there are going to be roles obviously that call for that depending upon the relationship history and such but I just felt as though it was just never like it was just always kind of like a thing like we had to figure it out like there was no like like we it was like like you have to know your own limits and stuff like that and it's just like kind of never did this before but cool and then specifically as you know as a black person it's just like with intimacy and vulnerability those are things that we kind of talk about or do <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's, not the, it's not at the forefront it's not on the it's not, it's not the fir- on the burner you know what i'm saying the front the first burner you know what i'm saying so yeah, it's exactly. like so you're expecting me to you know break down with this this white girl who's supposed to be my sister and then we're like having this intimate con- deep conversation talking about like how you know her our, our father molested her and then it, it, it's just it's, it's just a lot it's just a lot going on it's just like and then hearing from your you know from your professors like you have to dig deeper you can't just go into anger darling anger is all we know what are you talking about you know like it's just like so for you so I don't think we're gonna like break down my walls you know <laughs> in a in a semester but you know mm-hmm. cool but you know if, that, if that's how you feel that's gonna work cool yeah you know mm-hmm. but uh that's a very interesting perspective that I never really thought about until you just said it you know how I guess culturally a lot of times we as black people have to sweep things under the rug like you said and Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about you know back when I was in class about vulnerability being the the main talking point for professors especially educational theater and how well I, I I had that experience all the way back in probably I, I would say high school uh, when you know I finally reached the point where I was like okay I guess I'm just gonna kind of lay it all out there like I broke that wall really early on because my teacher for better or for worse was very much into you know the uh, getting rid of any inhibitors that I uh, keep you from the role. So, mm-hmm. although I'm still kind of paying for it today, 
at least when the script calls for it, I can definitely have an easier time with that. But I'm thinking about my black classmates in college now and how we had a whole class based on audition seminar and doing these monologues and things and how much more time it took for them to really let themselves go to the direction of the piece and everything. And then, you know, I found my white counterparts to be like, okay, I'm gonna go ahead and do it. And yes, this is what happened when I was six. I was like, oh. Yeah, yeah, and you're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, like, whoa, yeah. we don't do that. <laughs> it's a whole other level. And then it's like, especially like, you know, when they would take us through like those meditation exercises and warm-ups and like, the, the touching and everything and like it's just buckets of tears and I'm just like clearly your right. parents love you when you was little like I'm like I just don't mm -hmm. understand like it's just like a lot that's happening yeah. right now and, and like, I think you know oh, and I think um I've been I've been trying to talk about this for a long time as well as it's as like in this conversation of theater but I think part of that I think comes from our, our experience as black people, but also I think is what, especially what I try to do when I'm directing, when I'm leading something is understanding that for a black artist, you can't create a safe space because there's nowhere we're gonna be safe. We're never gonna be safe. So, you know, understanding that like, we have to create brave spaces and courageous spaces and spaces where people can feel like they can be brave and, and, and vulnerable and not so much safe because there really is no safe space for people of color. I mean, white people feel safe walking into anywhere, but for people of color, it's like, it's a different sort of, a different sort of um, safe and, and, and bravery and honesty. And I think that's what we have to sort of get to instead of saying safe because there really is no safe space. Now, would you still say that even a black production? Yeah, mm. yeah. I, I try. I try to do that as much as I can, especially understanding like. It's funny say, to bring. Yeah. Sorry, um, it's funny that you just bring up safe spaces because I remember one instance when we were dealing with opposite point of view and like you know we we're partnered up and required to do scenes and everything, and I was partnered up with the only other black student in that section for the class and we had to like choose what opposite point of view we wanted to do and like when we were discussing it you know in rehearsals and everything I said to him well you know we're gonna have to do racism because there's no other person in the class that's going to speak on it from our point of view and it actually be accurate so and it was funny because when we did our own scene and like we crafted the relationship history all that jazz and you know we did a scene and it was probably the most vulnerable and most um, open space that I've probably been in in my entire time in that program. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember at the end, like, you know, our professor was like praising us and talking about like how beautiful and amazing this is. And it's, and I'm thinking to myself, you don't even realize the the mindset that we just the had to strength. go through and the, yeah. the, the, the mental terror that we had to go through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Regardless how big or small it is, but the, yeah. this is a triggering like topic, and this is this is this is a sensitive space for us. And we mm -hmm. had to do this because we knew that no one else in our class was going to speak on it in mm -hmm. the way in our perspective because we're the ones who were at the end of the barrel for it, you know. So it's like, mm -hmm. yeah, we gave a great performance, but at what cost, you know? Yeah. And it's like, exactly. and at the cost of our mental state, you know. So it's like, you you you. you like we're being praised, but it's like, right. you know, yeah. like that's something we'll never understand. You know? either. Else for an assignment in class? 
Yeah, we had to um, like do scenes every week and everything. Mm. And we and we were particularly this was like, I think my junior year. So we were like an advanced acting and everything. So we're dealing with opposite point of view now. And we were able to choose what um, opposite points of view that we were dealing with. So like, you know, if someone is like, you know, a sociopath or somebody is, you know, in a cult or dealing you know, like all those things. So ours was dealing with like, with battling racism and <clears throat> what that looks like from our perspective. I just felt mm -hmm. as though it wouldn't, it, it would have never have shown up mm -hmm. the way it should have if it wasn't going to come from us being the only black people in the class. And what's crazy was everybody in the program was hearing about this, and it's a small program, but word got around about this thing that we were doing and everyone was talking about how great that we did. And it's like, but you see- You don't understand. Right, like, my, like my scene partner, bless his heart, went home, went, went back to his dorm crying the rest of the day after that. Like, like, it's, like, that, like, that's, like that's the type of work that we have to go through and it's like, I even think, and this is not necessarily theater, but I even remember with Black Panther and how um, Michael B. Jordan talked about like Killmonger took him on a mental mm. freak out. Like he needed therapy after doing Killmonger because those are the type of characters and that's the type of stuff that we as Black people are still living with every day. Every day, yeah. he just played a character. He just played a character. But that character reflected so much of what we're dealing with now. Yeah. It's like, you're getting this artistic performance and it's amazing, it's incredible, it's top notch and everything. And you know, we're clapping it up for Black Panther, but there's so much underneath that no one no one's talking about. The fact that sometimes we even, you know, you mentioned Black Panther, which is a good thing, because I was even thinking about what I watched the first time, I was like, do I, do I agree with Joe yeah, Longer? Like, this is like, real. <laughs> no, 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 he's, he's correct. He's absolutely right. But the thing about it is, even with Killmonger, he's such a um, multi-layer character. But the thing about it is, while he is correct, and well, there's a lot of things that he talks about that is correct, and like you almost don't want to go for him because he's quote-unquote the bad guy. T'Challa even said he is a monster of our own making because had they not left him back in Compton all those years ago after murdering his father and he really? was yeah. him, there, there wouldn't be no Killmonger. So this, mm -hmm. is, so this is what you've got now. So mm -hmm. it's like, and all he wanted out of the child was to just go back home. And T'Challa asked him when he went to the ancestral plane, all you had to do was bring him home. All you had to do was bring him home. So they, they probably, I mean, he would have needed years of therapy afterwards, but it's like he needed that familial connection in order to be able to come back to this world that his father has always told him about. So it's like, not only do you kill his father, but then you leave him there? Ooh. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It, it's, and it honestly, like now that, now that you've, broken it down like that and put it into words because I think it always registered with me but I didn't really know how to put it into words and I look at it now and I look at the riots that happened and everybody talking about how oh this isn't the way this isn't the way it's the same thing do you find it interesting though how and not long I don't mean to cut you off but I'm just I was thinking about this earlier because Please. we're dealing with Continue. we're dealing with we're dealing with Black Lives Matter but we're also dealing with Hamilton coming out around mm -hmm. the same time. Mm -hmm. and I, was, I remember listening to the soundtrack earlier today, like the closet nerd geek 
theater person that I am. That's and okay. I, we all theater people. <laughs> no, and I definitely like, just felt it satisfied like two seconds. Right. And then it's like I was listening to it and you know, there's the 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 one song that dealt with the Battle of Yorktown. And there's mm-hmm. that one song that says, you know, the world turned upside down. That's literally the spirit of what's going on right now. Because when those protests took off, when everybody was just popping off at the scenes and around the world, mm. it was like the world turned upside down. Because I don't, and you know, maybe it was different in like our parents' generation when they were dealing with, you know, when Dr. King got killed and when Malcolm X got killed and like the riots were happening, you know, across the country and everything, the blackouts were happening, Black Panthers, all of that. So maybe that was different, but like that was like, what's going on right now because it just was like everywhere like the world literally turned upside down and then mm-hmm. even Hamilton like that's a whole other topic but it's just I just find it interesting that like not too long after that then I was like oh yeah we're just gonna put we're gonna put Hamilton on Disney we're gonna, we're gonna put it on Disney Plus yeah. and they're gonna wait till next year to do it they're gonna wait till next year to do it so this wasn't even supposed to come out right but and they said we're gonna cancel those free trials now. You had your show. Right. You yep. want to see it? You it Seven dollars. But um, the Hamilton point is interesting because, especially how you know, I was talking about, you know, everybody condemning the riots from that side and that point of view. But I came to the realization a couple of days ago when you know the American Independence Day happened on that Saturday, and I was like, well. You know, you all are quite literally celebrating the world's most famous riot. <laughs> like, am, am I wrong about that? The <laughs> biggest a, one. And, you know, I don't understand how we're being demonized for actually speaking on our experiences for the most part. Yes, there were riots that happened, as you can, you know, everybody can believe what they want to believe about the purpose of the riots or how they started or this and that and the third. But, for the most part, we're just going ahead and speaking up and we're being demonized versus quite literally we have an annual celebration about insurrection against our uh, quote unquote oppressors yeah. as a whole. And then to take it even further, these are the same people who would then fly the flag of the people who tried to complain a huge insurrection against the country that committed insurrection to own other people. But then we can't protest about being right. And also those same allies who were talking about Blackout Tuesday and posting black boxes were also posting red, white, and blue pictures and doing fireworks and everything. So, you know, it's just, it's just, 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 you know, it's just a whole lot of allyship going on, you know, just a lot of Yes. I like shit fatigue. Honestly, they're tired. They're tired. Let's give them their... their yeah. tired. All I can say is that we, as a people, are learning and listening. <laughs> We're listening. <laughs> <laughs> but have we not been doing that? Like, oh, because I even remember watching um, on, you know, Saturday, July 4th, um, I was, you know, watching uh, on Netflix, um, if you guys are familiar, the, the docu-series, They Gotta Have Us, and Cassie Lemons was talking about how, you know, not just in this industry, but just us as a people just taking notes on <clears throat> our fellow humanity, that Black people actually know white people a lot better than white people know Black people and even white people know themselves. Because we've constantly, because of slavery and because of the, the, 
the oppression that comes with racism that's included, we have constantly had to take notes of not only what is what are the unwritten rules that we must follow, but how they benefit from said unwritten rules. So we've constantly had to had to had to you know update uh, update ourselves and 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 tailor ourselves and be politically correct and keep ourselves down and you know have to code switch and all of this other stuff and in in order to be able to get some semblance of of worth in this country and worth yeah. in this society. And that's why even when the riots were taking place and everything like that, people were, you know, there was that also generational divide that was going on between, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, our elders and us. And this like, why, why are they doing this? Like, y'all are, make, y'all are making us look bad and everything like that. Why would you destroy your own property? Is it really ours? It's never been owned anything. Never. Yeah. And it's, it's such a, like you bringing up, you know, us having to take notes and all that stuff. It's become so, it's become so normalized for us at this point. Like we don't even realize we do it half the time. It's like a sixth sense almost. I, I won't forget the time where uh, Makai and I, cause Makai's like my best friend. We were going to the beach and I had to ask for directions and there was this guy, you know, pickup truck, fishing poles, and I was like, I'm going to ask this guy for directions. And they were like, um, Jadon, hold on. And I was like, nah, 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 I got this. And I put on what uh, a lot of us like to coin a white people voice. He did. He did. And I got back into the car after getting those directions. Everything was fine. And we all looked at each other and we just started laughing. Because I was like, what, did you really think? I was about to walk up and be like, hey, yo, big man. Let me ask you something. <laughs> Can I get some directions to the beach, please? Like, no, it wasn't going to happen. And thinking about it now, it's, you know, it was a point of comedy, but it's mm-hmm. kind of screwed up when you think about it, of the fact that I didn't even think about it. I just knew, okay, let me put on this character. Let me put on mm-hmm. this voice. Let me portray myself as most of a non-threat as possible. Showing my hands as I'm walking mm-hmm. up and all of that as I'm asking for directions. And it's... Like, why should we even have to do that? It's become so, like, um, so ingrained in us. I think about so many times when I've walked into white spaces, like, especially when I went went to my freshman year of college and, like, because all my spaces I've been through were Black, whether it was, like, in middle school, it was Black. In my elementary school, it was Black and Latino. Like, I was always surrounded by, like, Black love or people of color. And then when I got to high school, it was, like, oh, this is a different world. And then when I got to college, it was an even different world because I went, I go to a PWI. So there's literally, I understood that there was no space for me to go. And there was nowhere that I could have gone. I remember we were walking into my dorm room with my two white, uh, what is it, roommates and thinking this isn't a safe space. My home where I'm supposed to put my head down at night is not a safe space. And it's so ingrained in us to think that, oh, I can't be myself here or I can't say certain things in here because I don't want to stir the pot. I don't want to do this or I don't want to, you know. But that also speaks to not just the fact that you're black, but you're also black and male. Mm-hmm. And that is a whole other yeah. whole pot that we, that we have to deal with. But it's just, it, it's, because it's not even just the fact that, you know, because you were talking earlier like about how you had to like switch your voice and people tend to realize like you know what people deem as us how we speak to each other as a thing of a talking ghetto or talking hood that's actually a language and it's called aave aave and that language is actually where we 
switch up the words and we take off letters and everything like that. That's an actual language that we speak that technically should be verified as an actual language and be on the same level and on the same tier as Spanish and French and Russian and all those other things. But that is a part of, you know, our culture. So it's like for us to not only have to like constantly like, like recreate and like tweak ourselves and in front of this other race, simply because we're deemed as the, as the, as the lesser than. And then it's just, it's just, it's just really fascinating to me. And especially like during this time with like quarantine and like, we're having to like be forced at home and watch these other events take place. It's just, it's just very interesting to kind of watch this whole system kind of dissipate a little bit. Yeah. You know, playing by a different set of rules is something that I think about a lot, as I'm sure we all do. Uh, specifically, I want to ask as actors, I directed a show called Dutchman. Have you heard of Dutchman by Maria Baraka? Yeah. So I directed that show two years ago when I was still in school. And I had the girl who played the white girl, Lula. We were reading the script and of course, here comes the famous word that has caused many debates over time. And she just stops and stares at it. So here I am just listening and then I just go, what's going on? <laughs> and she was like, oh, I can't say that. And I said, okay, um, so what we're not gonna do <laughs> is act like, A, you haven't said it in your life and B, you don't get a chance to run away from that word because we don't. And that's the whole reason why I'm doing the show in the first place. And we're going back and forth about it. So I was like, listen, at the end of the day, if you feel like you can't accurately portray the needs of the script, then I'm going to have to find somebody else. Like, I appreciate the work you've done, but you're not going to shy away from this because it makes you feel uncomfortable because you don't get a right to feel uncomfortable about that. That's my thing. Inversely, you know, it obviously is written by a black playwright for the needs of the script to portray a specific message. Now, there are other white writers and, you know, whether it be screen or stage who like to use that word with a bad right? And, uh, you know, specifically Tarantino is a culprit. Uh, and David Mamet has definitely not shy from it and things like that. So from your perspective as actors, I want to know what you think about the age old question of white actors either feeling like, okay, well, this is out of my free pass or I got to avoid it. I think I've come out of this so many times, but where it came into play was when I did hair. And we, I don't know if you guys know hair, but there's mm -hmm. a song in the second act called 3500 where we're supposed to be reenacting like a war zone. And you're supposed to say, prisoners in nigger town, it's a dirty little war. We're all supposed to sing that, we're all supposed to have that conversation. It's based off a poem, like a very long poem. 
And so we all sat down and read this poem together during rehearsal, only to find the nick of time on the last page of the poem, which we didn't really need to read the whole poem, it was on the last page. And so we had like a, a vote and we were like, who wants to say it, da, 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 da. We all raised our hand. Every person of color that was in that cast raised their hand. And we all closed our eyes and we all just raised our hand and said, what have been And then we knew that there was one white man who was not okay with saying the word and didn't raise his hand. And so it was like all or nothing. And so we didn't end up saying the word because this one white man silenced eight of our voices. I was like, okay. And I think where it comes into an issue where it becomes a, like a conflict is when you don't allow people to, people who actually experience racism, people who actually experience, who live in this color day to day to talk about, to talk about it and say, hey, I know how I feel about this word and you really don't have a right to feel about that way about this word because your people just, just took it and ran with it and, and changed it in the whole thing. I think, I also think that white fragility is so, such a thing when it comes to um, conversations around this word, especially in theater. And it also, and it, kind of, and, it kind of, and it looks different because white theater people don't want to associate with racism. They're like, oh, I'm liberal, I'm this, I'm da 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 da. But when you come, when you do shows like this or like The Dutchman, like Hair, like any other like sort of work, sort of time, time frame where it takes place in this time and you say this word, even playing the uh, racist white man in Raising the Sun, you don't say the word, but you say like, things along the lines of, you know, people get fragile and they get scared and they get, they put up their, their, their wall. And so what I've, what we, what I've tried to do, especially in, in word, in, in rehearsal spaces is try to kind of knock down that wall and be like, you can't, like, you just can't do that. Like, as soon as you like invalidate their feelings and be like, this isn't okay. I'm a firm believer in tearing people down to make them feel better. So I will tear down your ego, I will tear down your privilege, I will tear down whatever you, whatever idea of whiteness you have in your mind, I will tear down and I will build you up to be a better person. And so that's what I think ha what has to happen in order for them to change is you have to tear them down, you have to poke the bear a little bit in order for the bear to kind of attack in the right way. Yeah, um, I think, you know, I think a lot of the people who try to, shy away from it in art which first of all if it's important to the art I think the art comes first you know what I mean if you if you're a white person and this character is supposed to say this word because it adds to the show and because it is a part and it is important to the show you say the word because chances are if you're shine away you know you don't want people to confuse you for being racist and you're worried about being confused for being racist and people will think this and people will think that chances are you've already done it you yeah. just don't know it just saying the word isn't the only way that makes people racist there are little things that we were talking about earlier you pick up on just unconsciously chances are they've probably already done something of the sorts and it's like then it just kind of comes almost like okay it's kind of hypocritical because i remember when you made this joke or you said this or you said that and it was all funny haha -ha then but now that you're about to have a bunch of people watching you mm. now you want to shy away from it like yeah, so yeah i don't think people should run away at all definitely. yeah definitely um concur 
Um, in my experience, um, I also went to a PWI. Um, however, in my experience, and this just may be who I am as a person, um, I treated my undergrad experience kind of like a job. I clocked in, I clocked out. Because um, I just felt as though, personally, just as a all-around person, like, yes, well, I enjoy theater, I enjoy the arts, I, I love it. If I feel like it is tied to a part of my calling at some point in my life. Um, I don't believe that that is solely what makes me who I am. And the energy that I was receiving while being in my program was that it was very much so a ride or die type of energy and I'm not dying. So I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't about it. And then also in my program, um, specifically in our graduating class, I can't remember off the top of my head how many graduated, but let's say there was like between 25 to 30, there was four of us who were black, two girls and two boys. And I, we, and even between us, unfortunately, like, of course, like, you know, we was like, you know, we there for each other, but even then there wasn't as much camaraderie as probably there could have been, but that was mostly just because of the temperature that was in our program. And then on top of that, um, I, like I said, like, it just was very much so a very incesty kind of vibe that was going on. And I, I, I wasn't with it. I was just, and I just wanted to kind of have my own college experience, you know what I'm saying? And just really enjoy it for myself. Specifically with work that I've done in my program, just sticking on top of my head, did I, I never personally came across um, the N-word in any work that I've personally done. I dealt with the word Negro. And um, it was in the show Sister Act. And I remember um, <laughs> I was um, when I was a part of the Nun Ensemble. So I won't lie, I didn't read the whole script. So I didn't know that Negro was coming up in the script. And I remember we got to that scene where um, Sister Mary Mazlet, where Sister Mary Lazarus asked Dolores, "Well, you're really a Negro, right?" And the way my head spinned, <laughs> the I don't, Quickness. I, yeah. I, it's like deer in the headlights. You go. <laughs> I was like, is am I gonna have to um Okay, because I was like I was <laughs> I was like, um mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it was it was in that instance and it and my thing is already the reasoning there's there's a whole lot of tea about that whole scenario that I won't get it that whole show that we don't have enough time for but um, <laughs> I just remember specifically in that instance just just thinking like y'all knew that word was in there before when you picked the show you knew that was in there when we did the table reading you knew it was in there when we were getting to rehearsal what on God's green earth makes you think that, that somebody wasn't gonna call you out on it, you know what I'm saying? Mm. And um, and I remember um, the young lady who specifically was, who specifically was um, playing Dolores, she said, she said to them, if you do not take this word out of the script, if you do not change it, I'm, I'm, I'm quitting. And she was, and they were saying like, oh, well, it's not like it's actually the N word. It's not that it's, um, 
and it's not like we can change it and everything. She was like, no, there's definitely been productions where Dolores has been white and they've had to change it. So I know, I don't know what you're talking about. So it was just in this instance where it's like, similar to what you were saying, like if you haven't said it before, um, you know what that word means, whether it's Negro, whether it's actually the N word, you, you know what the, what, what, what that word carries, what, what that word means. So for that to carry on and everything like that, for you to be so callous and careless about it, it just speaks volumes of the safe space that you're not providing and the mm. safe space that you're not, because you know this is a show with, with, with Black people. Um, now, as far as my personal view on it, um, I feel as though if the show calls for it, like depending on the time period, like if you're doing a period piece, if you're doing like something like Raisin in the Sun or something like that, I mean, if the word is there, that, that's the sign of the time, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, but like you guys said, you can't shy away from it. It's a word that's there. If, but if it does come to a point where the, you have an actor or you have an artist that comes to you and says, especially if they're black where you know where they're saying like i do not want that said i will literally quit if that is said you have to honor that and you have to respect that simply because of the history that comes with that word or words that are similar to it yeah of course and i just for clarification i want to talk about how in the production of dutchman you know this again this woman was white it was a white woman and she's the only person that says it and when we did the production, actually in front of the audience for the, um, for the performance, it was funny watching from the back as to who had a visceral reaction to that one. Because, like, I mean, I went to PWI. It was mostly white people in attendance. Uh, you know, a lot of people got extra credit for coming. I thank my teacher for that. But... Uh, Jadon was there, and, I was. You and can my, feel family, it. <laughs> my family, and I'll say a couple more black people, so maybe like a total of 12 out of the 100 something that we had, and you know, all of us, we were just like, okay, <laughs> it was yep. said by this white woman, and looking at the white audience member, it was like... Somebody even said, <gasps> Uh-huh. It happened. I was there. <laughs> I heard it. <laughs> Some people were like, oh, oh my God. And they're just like, okay, I heard somebody whisper. Calm down. <laughs> Touching their pearls. Mm-hmm. My southern sensibilities. Yeah, so, right. I know. It's just like they haven't just been singing Gold Digger at every college party, you know, by Kanye West. Like, and, and it's such it's such a cultural it's such a cultural moment when Gold Digger comes on because we as people all collectively wait we wait no, we just be posted in the back we just sit <laughs> like, we sit we're, we're like, like huh? we're like oh, come on they played it at my university's pep rally one time she messed up with the what she, okay. They played it at the pep. I swear to God, I wish I had it on film. But they played it at the pep rally, and that gym was full, and there were twenty black people in the crowd, excluding myself, because I was running the spotlight. And as soon as Gold Dude came on, almost like meerkats, like like yeah. everybody just goes, 
<laughs> Lion King one and a half. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's during the headlights. It's go. Yep. Everything stops. But what gets me though is like not even just that. It'll be it'll be either the ones that are so scared to say it, but then the ones that say it so casually that they'll slip up and say it in front of black people. That that's that's the one part that gets me. I was actually. I was at an audition and I was speaking with, you know, a young white male and we were just making conversation and he was expressing his frustration about something and he's and he was like, Oh come on, nigga. I was like, Who to me? To me. Yeah. And I was like, even it coming out of his mouth, I was like oh. and, and he immediately caught himself. He was like, Oh my god, I'm so but this was the part that got me. He didn't say he didn't just say I'm so sorry. He said, I'm so sorry. I'm working on taking that word out of my vocabulary. I'm listening and I'm learning. <laughs> I'm learning and listening. We're here for you. We're here for you. <laughs> then it was that part, but then the kicker the clicker part was if you're uncomfortable with me saying it, I won't say it. If if you're uncomfortable, not you oh, are. Yes. If if you're good. Right. If you're uncomfortable. All I'm, all I'm going to say is, <laughs> thank God my number was called to go. <laughs> it would have been, it would have been. I, no. I had to go. I had to go. And I wasn't, Sorry, too, I, I gotta I wasn't go. too sure how that was going to play out. I was the only black person there I, or who was openly there because, you know, there's some racially ambiguous folks who want to placate and hide and play the paper bag test. And I'm just in there like, let me go before my ancestors get robbed up. Let me go. Let me go. Let me go. Let me go. It was either your number or nine one one. Either one. You know, <laughs> two numbers is gonna be called that day. <laughs> Alright, I, I also thank thank you for reminding me. I also want to talk about um, being the only black person in the room. All right, now somehow, some way. The excuse that comes up for a lot of theaters doing, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about specifically when they do shows that require black people and they decide not to cast black people in those roles. Um, so that's a given. But specifically shows that are like, well, you know, we try to include more black people, but they just don't show up. Where, where are they at? You know, where are we going? I try to market to different communities, and they're just not coming. As black I, actors, as you, as we can see, you exist. What do you think? Okay, so, so I'm gonna try to say this as calmly as possible because, because, because I'm excited. Okay. Uh, why y'all bring me on the show? Why y'all bring me on the show? Why <laughs> You're not having fun? I'm having fun. <laughs> I, I'm having fun. Wait, this is fan. Like, see, just, just, just for those of you who are listening, I have a fan, and, and it's hot. But also, if I bring out my fan, it's because I'm agitated. So, like, irritated, irritated. I'm heated, literally and figuratively. Um, this is this is the problem. This is the problem. In my experience. And I can only really speak, because um, this isn't just from like, you know, my undergraduate experience, even when I've gone for like, um, <clears throat> for auditions for like graduate programs and such like that, that that conversation always seems to come up where there's very 
few of us. But it's it's not just a thing. I'll, I'll speak specifically from um, my undergraduate experience because that's the most familiar. It's not just that the issue isn't that you're trying to bring people other other races involved it's not it's not enticing to just hear that you do colorblind casting because that was a thing in my program it was always like oh we do colorblind casting you know it's it's about who is best made for the part it's not it's not a thing of favoritism why are you lying yes it is um <laughs> it's, it's a thing of it's just it's not just that that it's a thing where it's colorblind casting but you're picking the same shows and you're picking the same people and the same, it, it, it's just like, it's just a rep, very repetitive. And the thing with my program, um, I remember they would, they would say it was a thing of, because our program is mostly white and female, we had to do a lot of shows that had big ensemble numbers. So I'm saying, and I thought to myself, well, I, th I think the thing is, is that it's not just a thing about having, and just speaking from like, a college program perspective you can't just do a straight play and a, and a musical every year and expect people to want to be people are going to be bored you know what i'm saying people are going to want to see you know one acts people are going to want to see showcases people are going to want to see you know dance recitals people are going to want to see like poetry slams people are going to want to see student written stuff student directed stuff you know what i'm saying i think it's a thing where you just have to open your palette more and actually give a voice for you're, like it has to be a collaborative effort between those who are in charge and your actual students because while yes you guys may have once been in the industry once upon a time when dinosaurs were still around and everything and that's cool but it's also a thing of you know if we're really the future and you really care so much about us really going out there you need to it needs to be a collaborative effort where you're hearing things on both sides and <clears throat> you say that you are here um and i don't mean to, to just limit things from my program but just specifically just if it's going to be a conversation of a thing of where you care about how we grow as artists then let's use all of our lens you know what i'm saying let's 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 stretch out let's get some sun you know what i'm saying and it has to be a thing where like we're we, we can't be put in a box and we can't be limited and that's not that's not helpful for us and i think <clears throat> that's part of the issue as well and especially for black students if we're constantly seeing that joe and becky and kaylee and 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 seth and are always getting the same role and are always being told yes but we're always told no and by no doesn't necessarily mean we're not getting casted but we're putting ensemble we're put on costumes we're put on stage manager we're put on hair and makeup if we're constantly being put in those roles and in those positions you're and we're here to be actors or we're here to be in a theater program you're that that's a no that that is a no that is what you're telling us so it's a thing of you you cannot be hypocritical and if it's really a thing where you truly care about every single student and you care about operating in a safe space and you care about everyone having their shot really and truly everyone then you have to provide the space to do that but your actions must follow that and i don't believe that that's being done and not just to make that a thing in the um from a college perspective even we're noticing in this industry and not just in broadway but just in um in theater and in, in entertainment combined it's just the thing of where black people and black artists and black actors are saying like enough is enough, man. Like we, 
we want we want our space and we want our room to grow and we want to be able to have our say about things and it has to be like i said that collaborative effort otherwise it doesn't mean anything yeah i i brought this up on um was it was it the one we did the other day um i'm not gonna give you that yeah we we've done a lot but um Anyway, I brought this up on one of the ones that we did before. And um, I was in a show with a uh, local theater group in the area. And it was literally as easy as just going, hey, we need black male actors for this role. Does anybody have anybody they can suggest? And um, putting an invite out to my uh, high school theater teacher, and she pulled two names, me and another guy. And we auditioned and I got it. Like it was, it was literally that easy. So I think that if people, they say, oh yeah, we want all these black actors to show up, but they just don't show up. I think it's a fact of you're not looking, you're not trying. Colorblind casting is all I hear in colorblind casting is an excuse to cast the same people over and over again and justify it by saying that they were the best fit for your role. That's emphasis, all I hear when I hear that. The emphasis in colorblind casting is the blind. That's 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 what it is. It's yeah, not the color. Exactly. They don't think. They don't think. No. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like it's it's so obviously just, oh yeah, I want to keep casting this person and this person and this person and this person. So when everybody else looks and sees that these people are getting cast, I'm gonna tell them that I'm not being discriminatory and that I only cast the right roles for these people. So it's, it's just, it's just a way out. And that's what's so, the theater industry in general is so good at finding ways out of explaining and owning up to their own BS. They're so good at it from unpaid internships to the colorblind casting. To the bullshitters. Exactly. They're, they're so good at just finding a way out of each and every rough situation that they find themselves in. And that's what really upsets me because it's like, it's so clearly just you not wanting to own up to this. You want to keep the status quo and you're an industry that's supposed to be against the status quo. You do all this work and all this talk about saying you're inclusive here. You're for this group here. Uh, we got pride day plays and we've got black, the one black show on Broadway but we look at all this stuff on the inside. We look at all this stuff backstage. We look at all this stuff behind the scenes. And we hear all this stuff from people in the industry. And it's so counterproductive to what they're trying to say. And it's clearly just them putting a mask on for all the people who aren't smart enough to really do their research or don't want to do their research because they like what they see. If I can, if I can take it a step further, it's, not, it's even just a thing of, not that they just don't want to see, but if the pressure is put on <clears throat> enough, it's either a thing where we're, where we're thrown a bone or basically just told to shut up. And I say that mm -hmm. because I even remember a specific time in my program, my junior year, where <clears throat> basically all of the minorities came to the heads of the department and, said, and basically sat them down and said, so what you're not going to do is ignore us anymore. We put up with this with so many years. And <clears throat> what needs to happen is, is like, you need to make room for the other people in this program and everything that don't look like you. And we and and we need to be heard about it. And they're like, oh, well, we can't, you know, just do like, and 
an all black cast of like a popular show or do a raisin in the sun because there's not a lot of black people here. First of all, that's not what we said. Relax. Not what we want. It's always the goal. That's what we said. <laughs> we'll just make like, a show with all black. We don't have to do a raisin in the sun, however. No one said that. No one said that. Also, the fact that they always pull out Raisin in the Sun. It's always Raisin yeah, in the Sun. Listen, I love Raisin in the Sun. It's <laughs> a bucket list show for me. But damn it, I'm tired of hearing about it. <laughs> and, then, and then it's a thing of, we're not even saying that. We're just saying, like we said, if you're going to do colorblind casting, do it truthfully. If you're going to do shows and, 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 and productions where, you know, everyone's supposed to get a shot, let everyone truly get their shot. And then after that, the, the, the equation, what, what equated to that conversation, what they got out of it was then doing Sister Act and there's only how many black people? I think you can genuinely cast at most like two actual black people in that show. But the, but the story of that show is about a black woman in a, in a convent full of white Catholic so it, it, the majority of the of the show is not going to be black. It just happens to be starring a black person. So it's that same thing. If it's just like you cannot, it's just like you said. There's always just like some way they're just able to wiggle to wiggle their way out of it. And it's just like yo, enough is enough. And the thing is with theater and the arts in general, it's yes, supposed to entertain, but it's also supposed to bring awareness. And it's also yeah. supposed to have it's supposed to bring forth, you know, <clears throat> make people uncomfortable. So if we are making you uncomfortable in the process, then we're doing our job. It's just y'all that are not. Yeah. You know, at the moment I lost, I'm just gonna keep this brief because we're kind of pushing time and I want to get Rashad in. But I'm gonna quickly add this little side note is that the moment I lost a lot of respect for university what they were trying to do was when they did this show my junior year called sorted lives i'm not sure if you heard of it but the tagline is quite literally a black comedy about white trash it's set in winters texas and it's quite literally just about (laughs) it's an all-white cast about just being white people and they've got of course a few racist lines in there as a joke it's not even like saying that it's a it's not even saying that it's a it's a satire or anything it's quite literally just the playwright wanted to write about his childhood and him coming out to his mother so that's that's what the story what does that have to do with black okay no it's a, no they use the term black comedy because it's about you know irreverent themes and oh like dark comedy yeah mm. it's black instead yeah. That's not the same thing. No, <laughs> not at all. No, not at all. But that was the tagline of the show. And also, of course, the cast was 100% white, except for this one girl who was tan. Tan, not tan. She was outside for a few hours a day. <laughs> That's a whole other conversation. Whole nother, whole nother thing. Mm-hmm. So for Sean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you want me to say? Oh, I mean, you got any thoughts? You got any thoughts? I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Get back to the topic. 
topic at hand because she reminded me of that little side note. Um, um talking about by <laughs> theater finding ways out of everything. That's Something what I'm like that. Um, I feel like everything that I could say has already been said. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I just feel like you can't be in theater and tell stories with with and and not acknowledge a whole group of people. You can't be storytellers and not believe or listen to or watch or or absorb other people's stories. I feel like that's just not not it. Not saying that they have to play black people and be black people, but it's like listen to us when we say what we gotta say. I think it, I've had enough of, of white people sort of not listening and kind of just saying like, oh, I hear you, I understand, I get it. And they'll post, they'll repost something on Facebook or Instagram and then they'll just leave it at that. But when we get to the actual conversation, they just want to sit there and kind of be like a final one, be like, oh, I don't really understand this. I'm like, well, we had a whole revolution to understand it. So you really have no excuse exactly. <laughs> at this point. Um, so I'm just over excuses. I don't argue with people anymore. I don't have any time for that. Um, so that's just kind of where I'm at with everything that's been said and going. If, if I could just say, just just a quick, um, what's the word? Um, consensus. Did did everybody here, you know, who either still currently at a university or an alumni, did everybody get a cute little email talking about Black Lives Matter and how they support, you know, Black artists and everything like that, and how they stand with you and they hear you and their allies and everything like that? Did everybody get that email? I wrote a poem and they posted it on the university's uh, theater Facebook page. We got a we got a section of diversity and inclusion in one single newsletter. They said we do not have the word to speak on this, so we will allow one of our alum <laughs> speak on behalf of us. And they just posted a picture of they posted a screenshot of a poem I put on Facebook. Yeah, wow. it's, it's just. <laughs> so, that's pretty much. I think that's that's what needs to be said on that. <laughs> yeah, um, right. However, what I do like to do with my podcast is I like to end it on a hopeful note, uh, something to kind of have a light at the end of the tunnel. So, Rashad and Candace, if there were a young black artist either getting ready to get into their first year of college or getting ready to enter the world professionally for the first time and you had a couple of words of wisdom for your own experience for them what would they be i'd say um stay true stay true to who you are and your morals and who you got because it's so easy and what you got because it's so easy to get lost and I'm in a PWI, I don't feel, I feel lost, I feel unseen, I feel unheard, blah, 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 blah. But where there, is, where there is so much strife, there is also beauty and, and art and love and compassion and um, yeah, yeah, really. Um, my piece of advice would definitely be um, to make sure that your home and your sanctuary and where you find peace is in yourself first, um, especially no matter where you go, but especially at a PWI. Similarly, like Rashad said, you can feel <clears throat> that sense of like 
hopelessness and like you're you know you know a needle in a haystack and everything like that but I believe it's important for you to find that sanctuary in yourself first when you try to outsource and when you try to find try to fit in you know and try to follow the trend of what's going on you know in your program in your school whatever um you can find that sense of like being lost so stay true to yourself mostly um find that peace within yourself find your tribe um and your tribe doesn't have to be in your program your tribe doesn't have to be in your artistic friends and make that college experience or whatever program you're doing whatever just make it for yourself and just thoroughly enjoy it um it's not going to be easy um it's not going to be a walk in the park but your success and how you come out of that program out of that college whatever is really dependent upon what you make out of it and what you choose to do with your time there and you can be as involved or you can be as not involved as you like but again that 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 experience is dependent upon you and what you what you are in need of what you are in search of what is meant for you will find you just continue on your path what just continue on what makes you happy and that may change the definition of that may change um and yeah you got it homie Let's keep going <laughs> sounds good to me yeah all right well thank you all so much again for coming i really appreciate it that was a thank wonderful you. conversation from vastly different perspectives and topics but I think stuff that needs to be said needs to be heard. So once again, this has been Arts and Conversation, and I appreciate you all for listening.